Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, everybody, thank you for joining us on today's episode of the CP Squad Pod. Uh, Today with us, it's just going to be, you know, me, Kyle, and Craig. We got some questions that we're going to answer from Kyle's Instagram the other day. We have three, but we have three really good, solid questions that we can definitely rant on for a long period of time. Uh, So we're looking forward to doing this one today. How's everybody going? How you guys doing? Great. we're good. We're good. My, my knees feel like absolute gravel, but Sweet. it's all good. Yeah. I was actually talking to Brock and the, the owners of the gym I was at and I was like, you know, this whole aging thing, like everybody assumes it happens at once, but it's like 75% of my body feels like I'm 30 and 25% of my body feels like I'm 70. And it's that's like the real, worst part of your body. To it's, feel like it's, 70. Not, it's not fair at yeah. all. And that's just the situation I'm in right now. But yeah, and it's well, like if you had a 70-year-old wrist, like nobody would really care. Yeah. But you have 70-year-old knees. That sucks. No, like, that's not the that's no. not the move. That's not the move at all. But we're here and, and we're 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 doing well. We're back so to running. One of us so. is slowly dying. Um, one of us is great, apparently. And the other, and me, I'm you know, I'm broken. I have pulled hamstrings, my neck's fucked, my wrist is fucked, my ribs are bruised. Uh, imagine Matt, imagine <laughs> Matt started BJJ and now he's hurt all the time. Like yeah, that, no one could have predicted this. No I've one would have known. I've done seven classes now and I'm just beat to shit at all times. It's great. Just walking around. I'm a competitive it, purple belt. I could just jump right back into it. I did. <laughs> I, I will say the I, I again not being a, an aficionado by any means, but also understanding that when Matt walks into a class, they just put the biggest guy oh, with yeah. him <laughs> and let him just roll all over him is probably oh, yeah. not the best situation for somebody who hasn't been in the game for a little bit. Well, the, the worst one was um, so I train with Death Grip Derek, who's a, who lives in Houston. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we went to this gym the other day. Uh, to, to do an open mat over the Christmas break. And it was like 30 degrees or 35 degrees in the gym. So like, as soon as we walked yeah, in, like that, we that walked in our front was, was rough. That was rough. When and I then, went down to Florida, it was 35 degrees. The first night we were there, yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. And then the instructor made Derek and I, and like, De- like, if you guys know, Derek, Derek is a 242 pound power lifter. He squats over eight benches, five and deadlifts over nine. Um, and he's a very, very, very good athlete. And he's not only yeah. is he very strong, but he's a very good athlete. Um, and the, the owner of the gym made us roll and we had a 30 minute, like death match while everybody else was just big, barely drilling before we got to go paired, get paired up with anybody. And by that point we were both just so cooked that like he tweaked his ankle. I pulled my hamstring. I was like, this is stupid. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm ready to go home and like lay down. Yeah. My warm up is your, is your, uh, is your exercise. Yes. BJJ stuff. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My warm up is your workout. It was, it was, it was wild though. So like we walked in and all of his, uh, like all this, this place is other guys. And again, like Derek and I are big people. Like I'm six, three, two fifty. Derek's six, one, two forty. So like we're, we're large people and all of the other people. Almost as big as me. Yeah, exactly. They just go to the corners of the mat and the mat's like, two three thousand square feet on its own so they just go to like the far corners while me and derek are sitting in the middle and we're like oh i guess it's just gonna be uh you and i training together (laughs) so (laughs) we rolled for like a good 30 minutes and everybody and like we watched everybody else and they're going like 
super slow and flowing really gently. And like Derek and I are trying to like literally murder each other. Like I'm cartwheel passing over his guard. He's like blast double legging me. He's like, we're literally trying to kill each other. And everybody else is just watching and like slowly going through and then we're just dead, completely that, dead. And then the, instru- the guy who owns the place goes like, okay, cool. You can go with him now and you can go with him now. We're like, this yeah. is, come on, man. Like they were just barely even doing anything. That's- they weren't even, they, they were like drinking coffee. Yeah. And like stretching. Yeah. They're warming. They're, that guy's uh, still wearing socks because his feet are cold. He hasn't even done anything yet. <laughs> Once again, going right back into it after such a long hiatus. Great idea. Yeah, it was a great idea. <laughs> That's all right. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be better in a month. It's all good. Um. I, I can't even talk because the reason my knee hurts is I ran seven miles on Sunday. And that's also after two months of not running at all because I strained my calf. So we're all the same. We're all, we're all idiots. We all do dumb shit. We all get on Instagram and talk about graded exposure and being smart coaches. And then with our own programs, we just say, fuck it. hundred percent or zero. Yeah. It's fuck around and find out with our own stuff. And and we hope for the best and we found out and that's just where we are right now. Yep. And that's okay. Um, So to the, to the questions that we've selected um, sort of through the, the, the dumb ones no offense to anyone who who asked dumb ones but some it was did. usually joel who asked the dumb ones though yeah so <laughs> my, massive my, offense my, to joel yeah like way. um yeah so but we do have some really good ones that i think can start larger conversations and that we might have even some differing opinions on through through it we might we'll probably be a little similar just because we are a little similar but we'll probably have some different lenses to kind of look through these questions on so the first question um is a good one and i think it's super broad but it allows us all to kind of spin off of it a little bit but how do you define function right so the magical f word right in in fitness and you know i think even i'm going to take it a step further because the, the new version of function is optimal for me right like it's just yeah. it's a very subjective word that gets thrown around a lot because it sounds good but doesn't actually mean very much without any context, right? It's, it's, it's very subjective in nature. So um, does anyone want to go first or do you want me to just keep talking? I mean, I I, yeah. All right, so Craig, if we're, jump on it, Craig. So um, we'll, we'll go off that. Mainly because like, I don't, I don't want my, uh, Craig, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get made wanna... fun of too much and I don't want to have the, oh, you were going to say that. Craig, so, Craig doesn't want that to happen. In normal Craig. Yes, yes. I, Craig, I respect this move for you. <laughs> yeah, this is a power move. We're actually going to let you go first every time just to avoid that. No, just yeah, just long. so Craig doesn't go, oh, I've been thinking this. that same thing for <laughs> That's years. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So um, when I – functional exercise or like optimal or any of that stuff, when I – hear or see it, I immediately think like, how is this going to um, get me closer to my goal? So if I'm someone who's looking for a functional exercise and I am a competitive sports player, like I'm a basketball player, like what's functional, right? Like something that will improve my performance on a basketball court and not necessarily sports specific training, but any training that will help me get me closer to that goal. now where I think a lot of the like functional fitness kind of became popularized was like early CrossFit days uh, where we're talking about things like burpees, pull-ups, things of that nature. And 
Uh, while I don't believe that burpees are inherently functional from like a general fitness perspective, I do think there's probably room for, you know, quote unquote functional to be taken into a different context where burpees are a part of that sport. So we have to get better at them. Um, <clears throat> does it make you like a better athlete? I don't know specifically, like I have my own opinions, but functional to me is something that brings you closer to your goal or it is your goal. So again, burpees would be considered a like competitive movement within CrossFit. Um, snatching or clean and jerking would be a competitive movement in weightlifting. So a functional exercise for a weightlifter could be like a box jump where we're trying to um, produce as much power or explosiveness or train power and explosiveness in a way that will carry over and give us a better snatch or clean and jerk um, or performance in general. So that's kind of how I define functional. Um, I know that like, that's sort of my own spin on it, given the way that it was used in the past. But, you know, like I said, when I think of functional or even optimal, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, how will this give me the best chance to reach my goals? Or how will this give the person that I'm training the best chance to reach their goals? Yeah, gonna... I mean, I... oh, go ahead. Oh, go, go, go for it, Kyle. You, you go for it oh. first. I, I was just going to say, I, I think that's, you know, kind of the nail on the head, right? Where we're just saying function and, and the actual, you know, the, the concept of function is going to be both task specific, right? Like whether you're a CrossFit athlete or whether you're rehabbing an injury or whether you want to just like get jacked and, and work through hypertrophy style training or whatever, right? And then also that individual's, you know, ability level and training age, right? You know, I, I think when we start looking at functional, especially in the the realm of exercise selection and exercise prescription, those are the things that, that are going to be probably the two biggest indicators of what we choose, right? So we have to pick exercises that are going to, like Craig said, they, they either are the sport, if that's the case, right? Or they help develop qualities that, that allow the individual to be better at the sport. And, and I think that's, that's where there are, there is no global definition of function, right. From an exercise perspective, especially, right. Like, like we can have like global descriptions of, you know, maybe, you know, general lifestyle things and things that'll help, you know, everybody live a healthier life or whatever, but from a client perspective and from a performance-based training perspective, like we have to look at tasks you know, task determined needs, we have to look at individual rate limiters and task limiters, performance limiters, and the exercises that we pick based on improving those two things and improving those qualities are going to be subjectively functional for that athlete, right? And, and again, it could be somebody who's, you know, wants to be able to walk up and down steps without knee pain, it can be someone who wants to improve their 40 yard dash time, whatever, it can be someone who wants to improve their marathon time, right? Or is rehabbing an ankle injury or, or shoulder or whatever. All of these things can have functional exercises that are completely different and probably will have exercises that are completely different from one another and still be functional, quote unquote, within that capacity. And, you know, I think that's where you, especially, you know, in the online world, it's super trendy, you know, and has been for a long time. I mean, the functional, yeah, like Craig's talking about the, the beginning of CrossFit, but even like, NASM and FMS yeah. back in the day, you know, co coined those words, right? We're talking 15 years 
of, you know, functional fitness, quote unquote, being a thing um, and probably not being labeled or utilized that correctly, but used more as a marketing term. And, you know, optimal is kind of a new thing that has kind of taken that realm and, and turned into, you know, a new, a newer version of it that you see on social media. And, and it's like, yeah, what's, what's optimal for one person based on their goal might not be optimal for the person literally right next to them doing the same training session. Right. And I think that's what people need to understand is these words don't mean anything without context. And social media is not a place for context as we've discussed and like nuance or whatever um, is very hard to convey on any social media platform. Yeah. I, I might actually take that a little bit of a different direction and say that I, in my personal opinion, there can absolutely be a non-contextual version of functional training. Because what I would look at with this is functional training would just be anything that we can do to just generally improve the function of the actual organism itself. So if I'm looking at that person through like an individual rate limiter assessment, like right, right. If I'm looking at a person who doesn't come in with any kind of specific goal or any kind of thing in particular, and they just say they want to be like a more functional person, I'm probably going to give them some aerobic work. I'm going to give them some high, high, like high intensity work. I'm going to give them some heavy lifts. I'm going to give them some hypertrophy and I'm going to give them kind of like a concurrent training program. That's not necessarily going to be super specific towards anything, but it's going to be working on toward like improving the general like function of that person, just like improving their rate, their, their um, energy systems uh, or energy system utilization, the nutrient uptake, building up a little bit of muscle tissue, building some elasticity and tendons and ligaments, and just generally like almost using that as a way of like setting the quote unquote, like the floor for a person's training program, right? Where it's like, if that person wants to come in and be functional, quote unquote functional, if this is like a general population person who is no real experience in training and they've heard the buzzword and they think that that's the way that we're going to get to go. We're not going to be doing a whole bunch of things like standing on BOSU balls or like doing like lunge to curl to overhead presses or like things like that. We're going to be doing things that are going to get them generally stronger and more neurologically efficient. We're going to do things that are going to improve rate coding, rate of force development speeds in both early and late stages, look at improving like their energy systems through, like I said, aerobic work, zone two. Uh, so like some zone two aerobic work, some like glycolytic work, which is going to be horrible and just like work on building up their ability to be a more robust individual in general without having anything that's like hyper-specific in there. Like where I would look at dif like differentiating that from the term optimal, because at that point, optimal would just be hyper-focusing or specific, like, like moving more specifically into one specific category, right? Where if I'm looking at somebody who wants to get super strong after we've done that kind of a base building period of time, that person might go into some more optimal exercises to drive that particular quality that they're looking at in general. Because again, that first program that they're going to do when we're looking at building that technical, like, like technically that kind of like base building program where I'm looking at just improving just general energy systems, strength, hypertrophy, resilience, and all those kind of qualities at the same time won't necessarily be an optimal program for any specific quality, right? Because there's just not enough volume or not enough time spent on each one. They'll be great generalists and that's okay, but there's nothing specific enough to make them particularly better at anything else. So I would look at that almost as like trying to make it into like a, non-contextual way of making things functional of just like looking at the systems of a of an organism and just generally working on improving those and then moving them to more quote-unquote optimal stuff as their goals become more specific and tangible yeah know, man it sounds like a lot of work well yeah i mean, I mean like I, otherwise i could just make them stand in a bosu ball or do bird dog rails rows and that'd be fine 
Well, even, or front you know, foot elevated split squats with a 20 pound dumbbell. That would be e- very functional. E- even jokes aside, I still think that's just a framework, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you yeah. can, we can talk about a quote unquote functional program that's concurrent and has, you know, different, you know, energy system or bio, bioenergetic development, you know, included in it with different levels of stimulus, you know, being applied on different training days or even mm-hmm. within same sessions or whatever. But at the same time, we still, as you dig deeper into exercise selection and we start talking about functional exercise, the same exercise selections aren't going to be quote unquote functional based on rate limiters across yep. the board for everybody, right? You know, so like even then, I think like conceptually, like as a framework, I would say like a concurrent program probably is the most, like I would completely agree, like is yeah. the most globally functional as much as I don't like the word across the board, right? For, for general, general clients. But even then, like, we can't just make a template that's like the functional program for everybody, right? right? right. Like that's not going to in, encompass everybody who comes in the door, especially based on training history, injury history, lifestyle demands, whatever, right? Because again, like I might write that. Morphology. Yeah. Well, yeah. even like, like think about gen pop, right? Like I can write a six day program when someone only has three hours a week to actually train, right. Based on work schedules, life schedules, like, you know, again, like, you know, we talk about this all the time where it's like, yeah, you can create the most holistic program in the world, but if somebody only has two to three hours a week to actually train, they're not going to be able to, to maximize all of those qualities. Right. You know, so that, yeah, not even close. Right. So like what you described, I think would work well if we're not taking into account lifestyle, yep. right? For, for individuals, right? It, because it is conceptual. But as soon as we add the context of, oh, like this is a guy who works 50 hours a week. He has two kids that on the weekends, they've got sporting events. He goes to practices like piano recitals, whatever. And he's, you know, obviously wants to spend time with his wife and have relationships and see his family and do these things. And then as a coach, okay, he can train at 6am, but you only have two 6am slots available because you're successful and are booked. So you got a guy who trains two days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, maybe, and then like early on a Saturday morning. How do you deliver that program to that guy, right? And he's had like an injury history from like old sports or whatever, like that's still that doesn't fit the framework. Right. And that's where like the whole, my dogs are fighting in the background. I'm sorry, but that's where the whole all models are wrong, but some are useful thing kind of comes into play. Right. Where it's like, you can have this conceptual framework, but you just have to understand that that even as a model, it's still going to work in absolution with a very low percentage of the people that you work with. Um, Oh, for sure. You know, and, and that's what, that's what I think coaches have a really hard time with is it's really easy to write something out on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's much harder to actually look at the person in front of you and say, Hey, this person's goals are this, those goals require X, Y, Z. This person is good at ABC and not very good at DEF. How do I, at that point, mix in ABC qualities with DEF qualities and at one quantities to, you know, raise their floor. Yeah. Raise their floor without their ceiling being sacrificed completely. And then next phase, raise their ceiling without their floor being, you know, and that's where like the, the art of programming comes in and there's no like function doesn't exist 
objectively when you actually start working with people on the floor. And that's where like, that's, I hate social media, Mm -hmm. you know, and and this is something that, that bleeds into a few of our other questions, but it's just like social media paints the prettiest picture ever of training. Do these three exercises, do these, do X, Y, Z train in this split, eat these things. And it's like, yeah, I guess like that could work, but it's not realistic, right? Like it's not going to work for a lot of people. And it just winds up with a lot of people being extremely frustrated in a post that gets a shit ton of likes because everybody's like, oh yeah, vegetables are great. Yeah. I probably should squat more. Yeah. I should raise my aerobic base. Like pointing out these obvious things, but not actually giving solutions to problems. is right. like the social media formula, right? It, like that's yeah. how you get a bunch of likes. You <laughs> oh, yeah. know, it's like, I point out a problem, but I don't offer a solution. I get a bunch of people that are like, yeah, that's badass. But how do I do it? Yeah. You know, right. it's like the underlying question. And like, that's one of the things too, about that. Like, even when I was going through and talking about that framework of functional training yeah. that I would look at, dev- at, de- at developing for somebody, like, that's why I said that it's, it's a, the way that I'm kind of defining it or looking at this in this like absolute mm-hmm. context is without context, right? And without yeah, the, the nuance of a to. person's individuality you in there. You can't talk about it without it. Right. And the reason why I wanted like to have that done is because uh, if I'm looking at that and the reason like, I, cause I knew you were going to go off on a little tangent about like the limitations of it, because you, I know you've, you know, you've known, known me well you long enough to, <laughs> yeah. to understand who I am as a person. Right. But yes. But the reason that I wanted to do that is because functional is still such a term that's being thrown around it. I don't think people realize how like, like difficult it would actually be to follow and maximize and like really execute that framework that I just discussed, especially if you're working with general population and general people, it is significantly easier and significantly less time dependent and takes a significantly less time commitment, sorry, uh, to program out for somebody who's more specific. Like I'm powerlifting training and I'm going to be lifting three times a week. If I wanted to be functional and build all of this and do a concurrent training program, I would need to train six to seven. Well, and, and even also that, you know, bridging into like, you know, even working with like specificity based or even performance based athletes, this is also, these are populations that prioritize training over other things, Right. right. Over lifestyle where when you're working in, in a general population realm, as much as reversed. we want, yeah, as much as we want to say, oh, you only get one body, it should be the most important, you know, all, all the bullshit cliches, whatever. As much as we want to believe that, you know, as, as a 40 year old parent of two that has a busy work schedule as well, like, good luck yeah. with that. Like, that's, that's tough, you know, and, and it's, again, it's like the only reason I train as often as I do is because I'm a bit of a psychopath. And I also understand that and have the awareness. I've chosen to work in this industry. I'm obviously biased towards it. That's not our typical client, right? So you kind of, once you start trying to make training fit their lifestyle, whether rather than their lifestyle fitting their training, like all the variables get switched. Yep. You know, it's like when you're a performance-based athlete, you make time. When you're a competitive athlete, especially, you know, professional or not, you make time to do this because you're passionate about this thing, right? And we can get into motivation, discipline, whatever. You're highly fucking motivated to to pursue fitness at that point, right? 
And I think that's another thing people don't understand is it's like, you know, going back to like that, the old cliche, we all have the same 24 hours. Like, no, we don't. We all have different lifestyles and lifestyle demands that are going to dictate our ability to train. Like that's not the same 24 hours. You know, I think that's where, again, the industry really screws some of this stuff up. Like it's not, you know, and that, that was again, a tangent off topic a little bit, but Semi-related really, to our net. Like, I mean, not really. But if you think about it, because like, ready? Like priority one for a program is, can the person do it? Yep. Yeah. Like that, then all of a sudden, design. like you've checked can the first box, yeah. right? Like you've, you've checked the first box of what a functional program is. They can do it, right? And then two, like even the most general of generalists, like Matt, to your point, I, like I agree with everything you said, but like if they don't have specific goals, like it's kind of our job as coaches to sort of create arbitrary or not arbitrary, but like attribute goals yeah. to them, like, right? Like this is where you're at. Them. This is how we improve it. Yep. And then even though that might not be their specific goal, like they might not have a goal mile time or a goal, whatever, but you know that like improving the function of the unit means improving aerobic mm. capacity or aerobic base. So we have to actually do it and improve those markers like we are attributing goals to them, even though they're not hyper-specific. Yep. So like, and then, you know, we go into the points of like, well, three days, six days, all these things. Once everything fits into the person, we've created something functional, right? Like there is no, oh, hey, this is a functional exercise. You should do this and you'll solve all your problems. Right. Yeah, and that's I mean, one of the that... reasons why I wanted to kind of define it that way is just because like everybody looks at like functional exercises, like, oh, you've restored like one degree of hip flexion that's functional. Yeah. It's like, no, that like doesn't necessarily- That probably doesn't mean anything doesn't really matter. Like, does your ability to get into like an ass to grass squat actually matter nowadays when everybody sits at parallel? No, it literally doesn't matter that much at all. It's cool to be able to do change your quality of life whatsoever. And like, again, you can make an argument that it could be super beneficial and helpful if somebody gets older, if they continue to maintain the ability to squat like below parallel, if they happen to fall or like happen to be on the ground for any particular reason, it should be easier for them to stand up and things like that for sure. Like you can totally make those arguments. But at the same point, it's one of those things where like, if we're looking at building a functional program and building out like a training program, that's going to just improve the just general qualities of the organism itself, like have fun doing that with a general population client when you're doing an aerobic base block, because all you're going to have to do is three times a week, run on a treadmill because you know, they're not going to do it at any other time. Well, and it's like, even the, they're going to leave, they're going to (laughs) quit. Even your example of a squat, man. It's like, I've read blue zones. Yeah. When they started interviewing centenarians about the things in common with people that lived over a hundred across the world, ask the grass squat was not one of the qualities. It was not one of them. Nope. It was not one of the things they cared nope. about. Like, they did it, not again, care. like, it's just, yeah, that could, that, yeah. again, keyword could. That's why I said uh, it. In, increase it quality of life or whatever, but is it really moving the needle for most people? Again, like there's outliers out there, whatever. We never speak in absolutes, but is it really moving the needle for most people? Like, no. It's not, you know, for most of and it, you know, and that's just where, again, I think like going to grow Craig said, it's like when I'm working with like, I almost a, called him Greg. Yeah. Oh. I heard that <laughs> a general, a gen pop client, like I'm not doing VO2 testing, right? Like nope. I don't have the equipment. It's boring. Nobody wants to do it. Like I'm literally giving them a four mile test and telling them to improve upon it week over week, over week, over week. Because like Craig said, like, that's a proxy. Like I know that if they're increasing their outputs and their ability to perform that task, all the good things are happening from an aerobic capacity and performance standpoint. Like that is an indicator that things are improving and moving in the right direction. Do I need to get hyper-specific about it with them? No, I don't. You know, and I think that's just, I I think that's also where people will, will 
like hyper focus on on things that matter to them from a training perspective like like matt said like pulling out the 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 goyometer and looking at joint angles and whatever without realizing that's like man i can do a passive hip flexion test on you and then have you walk up and down a flight of steps three times and do a couple bodyweight squats and i'm gonna get different numbers after that anyway yep. right you know again like all of these things are they're indicators but they're not like again they're not predictive and they're not absolute by any means you know i think that's something that you know as an industry we really fail to notice you know and, and but i think this bleeds into the next question because uh, we're kind of already talking about uh gen pop versus specificity based yeah. uh clients so the, the next question is top three books for programming for clients and parentheses mainly gen pop so just this came from, you know, a, an everyday trainer, like a guy, like a, a, a guy or girl who works at a box gym, works with normal people, which again, like, is, despite what social media gets posted like this, I mean, I worked for 10 years and butter, man. In, in a box gym in New York, Matt worked for, for six or seven years in a box gym. Like we've all worked in box gyms with normal people. Like, yes, we train ourselves a different way. Yeah, Craig still works with general population clients, right? But that so is, okay. yeah, that's so the majority. Yeah, that's the majority <laughs> of the industry, right? That's yeah. it's ninety seven percent plus of the industry at this point. Um, so you should be good at it. It yeah. should be a population you want to work within. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, off air beforehand, just so I, as we were talking about the questions. But I, I honestly think that if you're looking at three books programming for, for general population clients, like you are overthinking the process and you're trying to make them specificity based instead of general, mm -hmm. like gen pop clients. Like this is what Craig, Craig said that I, you know, or in the last comment he made is like, is the program doable? Mm -hmm. And I would add to that is the program fun. Yep. Like, do they yeah. want to show up and have high levels of intention? Like, can I get this person's training attendance? at 85 to 90% or higher, right? And then can I get their intention and attention during the session pretty high, right? At that point, now we're talking about what Matt was talking about is like, I'm just going to mix in a lot of like energy system development work. I'm going to work in a little bit of hypertrophy work because everybody loves a pump. And hey, it's also great for your joints and your muscular mm -hmm. capacity. And I'm going to work in a little bit of power work because the ability to produce force is important for everybody. Yep. And I'm not going to get super caught up in programming and periodization schemes. I'm going to pick exercise selections that the people can do efficiently and we're going to roll. And I'm going to be super happy with that. You know, and it, we've done full on webinars on this and, and stuff. And maybe that's something we'll even post up here in the next few weeks. But um, yeah, we talk about this at length in our groups because that's who most of the people in our groups are, our general population coaches. Right. And like, that's, that's one of the, I completely and totally echo that sentiment entirely <laughs> having been working in general population in general population coaching since 2012 was when I got my first training job. So I'm, I'm, I'm 10 years in, um, now, um, it's one of the things where the more and more specific I was trying to get with my training, the less and less adherence I had with clients because the less and less they liked it and the more and more they started dreading particular things because I would tell them, well, no, this is just what we have to do. And then those people would just consistently start missing those sessions. 
right? Where it's like, if we are looking at something and like Kyle was saying, I'm going to give him some aerobic stuff. I'm going to give him some strength stuff. I'm going to give him something. But like, if I have a person who doesn't want to bench and for some reason I am forcing them to bench, they're not going to come back. They're going to be done. <laughs> right. Remember, like, this is one of the things that we've got to look at with this is like, if we're not keeping the sessions fun and we're not keeping the training enjoyable for the person and feeling like it's moving the needle in the right direction, we are a luxury item that we are the it, first ones to go. Yep. And that bench press conversation goes right back to functional, right? Like, yeah. They, like functions determined by the person. Like we yeah. can pick a hundred different ways to do a horizontal press. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't have, like a bench press isn't more functional. A dumbbell press isn't more functional. An alternating reciprocal dumbbell press isn't more functional. A machine press, converging press, whatever, isn't more functional. Yep. They're just exercises. Yep. That's all they are. And like, that was a conversation that I actually had with an in-person client of mine who down in, in Texas, she and I trained together for three years and probably about a year in, she told me, I hate benching. And we were benching once a week for three years. And she just told me straight up, she's like, I hate it. And I was like, how long have you hated bench press for? And she was like, the whole week time one. that we've been the doing first it, since the first trained. day. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you tell me? Like, if you told me this, we would have never done it again. You never would have seen another bench in your program. And for the remaining two years, we didn't bench until she said in my last year at that club that she wanted to try it again and see if she liked it. We did three weeks of bench. I said, okay, cool. Give it another month. We'll see if you like it or not by the end of the month. And at the end of the month, she was like, nope, still don't like it. And we never did it again. It's, it's one of those things where like, if that's the thing that I'm trying to force that person to do because I have some arbitrary framework that I want them to fit within and fit a bias that I personally have as somebody who's a power lifter and who trains a bunch of power lifters. If I want them to all do some SPD work and they don't like it, I'm not going to keep that client. That client is going to leave. So question for you, Matt, when that all happened, is that something that led to you? Um, I don't know how to phrase it, but like being more upfront or like inquisitory about like, Hey, do you like what you're doing? Do you enjoy what you like after a month you said to me, how do you feel about what we're doing so far? And, you know, great. Like I had more specific goals, but like, right. is that something that you learned from an instance like no. that? <clears throat> okay. No. And then no. that's something that I've actually done for my entire time training. Right. So, so that kind of led, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say my entire time as a coach, one of the things that I've always been, I've always done is I've always tried to be like a feedback machine. Um, and that definitely comes from having 20 years of martial arts experience, right? right. Where if I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that, I have to serve it. Cause like I taught kids primarily, I taught kids in like teenagers. So I need to make sure that those classes are enjoyable and those classes were fun and they were getting some good yep. stuff out of it. So I had to survey kids and I had to talk to parents and I had to talk to people very, very frequently about like, do you feel you're getting your value for the money? Do you yep. enjoy what we're doing? Do you want to come back? Are you looking at changing your training frequency? All of those things had to be assessed and discussed with people. Otherwise, we would not have any kind of metrics for success or proxies to see if we were moved, like doing class as well, other than just general class attendance. And looking at that, we've had some poor instructors who worked at, my, at, my, at the school that I worked at um, who would have high attendance because it was the only time slot that was available for kids. So it was the only one that was fun that, that actually worked and fit people's schedules. So they would have high attendance, even though the, the actual like curriculum and the courses that were being taught, like the, the, the 
things that were being done in the class were not well received. So it's always been something that we've done that I've kind of taken with that as like asking for as much feedback as I can and trying to not be emotionally attached to any kind of thing in particular, because again, we're just trying to get people to move and not right. fit whatever we want to do until they come with something more specific. Mm-hmm. And right. if that same client had come with me and what I want to do a powerlifting meet, I'd be like, well, you know, you hate benching, right? And she's like, yeah. It's like, well, that's a third of the meat. So you can't not do it. You yeah. got to have to do it. Yeah. Right. You, you might not love it, yeah. but we got to put it do in it. there. You got to yeah, get it done. This so, is no longer optional. So that was kind of a leading question because um, I think, I, th- I think people are looking for like the right book or the right thing. But in my opinion, at least like experience is one of the biggest teaching tools for and, a coach like you have to feedback. go in and ex- right like right it, like but like that feedback comes question. from experience you got like yep. you got to go and coach someone uh, and then like that's how you learn like a book isn't going to teach you how to nope. work with people it's not going to teach you how to communicate with people it's not going to teach you how to uh make adjustments right like one of my one of the my favorite books on learning how to program and do anything for strength stuff never taught me how to make adjustments for when that person didn't like doing that many reps or just didn't want to do that much frequency or any of that stuff. So we have to kind of navigate around those obstacles in our own way, which generally comes strict, like kind of strictly from experience and feedback. So, and then it's kind of a matter of, well, if, you know, I, I, me as an athlete, I'm not going to go to a coach and just let them give me something that I don't want to do. Right. Unless I know and believe that it's going to help me get to where I want to go as like an athlete, whatever, but think about, you know, try to put yourself in a client's perspective, right? Like you're not going to want to do or the things that you don't want to do. And if you read a book that says, Hey, you got to do three X frequency a week of back squats and the person hates putting a bar on their back, then what's going to happen. Yep. You know what I mean? So things to keep in mind, like I think experience doing the thing is probably the best way to learn it. Um, now granted, like I, there's probably like some bare minimum stuff that we probably could talk about, but I don't know how deep we want to go down that rabbit hole outside of join the standard because we'll teach you all of that. But nah. <laughs> I think it is nuanced, <laughs> right? Because again, like you can read all the books and still be a shitty trainer, right? Like yeah. it, it's, I'm sure we know one, people who have done that. Yeah. One, I mean, one of the stats that's always oh, yeah. stuck yeah. out to me is the number one um, consumer of self-help books are people who have bought self-help books yeah. before, right? Like at some point you have to quit reading books and you have to do the actual thing. Right. You have to quit collecting information because there, there is a point of negative returns on data collection in any field, right? Where you get so watered down that it's not even good data anymore, right? It's outside of the scope yep. or it's outside of the population demographic, whatever. It's outside of the control where at some point it's like, okay, like the only way that I'm going to get better personally, individual to myself, like Craig said, is I have to go do the thing. And I, and, and that's the scientific process. That's literally testing. Like this is the scientific process as a coach, you have to get on the floor and you have to go in with the program. That's your hypothesis. And then you essentially go in and you test it. You have the clients go through it. You get empirical measurable data from their actual sessions, and then you get subjective feedback from them. 
And with those two numbers, you find out, hey, this thing works in this realm, but it doesn't over here. So I'm going to have diminishing returns at some point on this bench press because, yeah, they're going to get physical adaptations from bench pressing frequently. But at the same time, they might actually stop coming to training sessions or yeah. training altogether because they hate bench pressing. Right. And, and, and at that point, no one wins. You have a pissed off client who's no longer training and you have a coach who's no longer training that client. Right. That's that's no birds, one stone. That's a terrible situation. And I think that's where a lot of coaches, again, try to make general coaching too specific, right? At the, like, you don't have to do any specific exercise yeah. or drill in a general population program. And that's why we even like when we go through teaching this, like Craig said, we look at patterns, right? Like, yeah, like we're going to have some like very global patterns, like your knee dominant, lower body, your hip dominant, upper body, push, pull, core, whatever. And we're just going to start plugging exercises in based on those things that people enjoy doing. And we're going to do them frequently. And then we're going to sub in different things to, to add some novelty in and whatever, but it's not overthought, right? It's nothing crazy. Like people would probably be extremely disappointed in looking at my general population oh, program. Same. But guess what? I've trained 20,000 fucking sessions of gin pop clients. People adhered, people trained with me for eight to 10 years plus, three times a week. And they did the same basic programs over and over and over again because I was flexible in how I was delivering those things. There's also the whole thing like, if you guys have ever been in any gym in most of America at 7 p.m. at night, your program goes to shit really fast because you can't even get on the exercise equipment or use the dumbbells you want or whatever. Right. Like you have to have built-in flexibility, right? You can't have a rigid program in that environment. It's impossible. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, uh, like Craig, you were talking about, like there should be some potential, like potentially should be some minimums. And I actually like almost disagree with that unless we can provide a little bit more context with that, because that's an area where like my minimums for somebody is just showing up right because if they can show up and they can get something done and they can do anything i'm happy with them doing something because again we know that the majority of these people and like if we look at the just general physical activity stats they're extremely low for strength training or for cardio training or for both so yeah. if we can look at that i'm not even going to be looking at quantifying hard sets per week total sets per muscle group total nah. training volume anything like that I, I don't care if that person, if they're a general population client, I don't care if they ever really break above RPE six, as long as we're progressively overloading it over time. Right. Like if they're, if they're set of 15, all three sets of 15 move really easy and they don't struggle on each one with 20 pounds on a, like a chest press. And then the next week we move up to 25 pounds on the chest press and we have the same exact thing. And the following week move up to 30 and it's the same exact thing. And the following week up to 35, and it's the same exact thing. I don't care if they never, ever, ever struggle. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think that, uh, an actual like client or like person that you're training has the minimums. What I meant by that is like, there should be probably a, a base level of knowledge for a coach to okay, be able yes. to actually write a. Yeah. That's what I, that's and, what I took. Like get your CPT, like get your intro stuff, whatever. Yeah. And, but like, oh, see, that's where I might even push back too. Like, I don't know how valuable certifications are. Well, anymore they're valuable when... because they're legal. They give you well, insurance. <laughs> from in, yeah, I mean, like in certain, I feel like 
contexts, definitely, but in others, like I work side by side with people who their only certification is either like USAPL club coach, which I don't know what that, I don't know what insurers think of that, but um, I mainly meant that as like a, uh, we, we know people who've gotten all kinds of certifications, like Whoa, five yeah, to six, but, but we don't have, but don't actually have like the experience. Coaching. But those two things aren't, they're not like, it's not binary, right? Yeah, we can no, say, absolutely not. I know people who have 10 certifications, but don't know how to coach, but that doesn't mean certifications don't matter. And education doesn't matter. Right. It's like, cause I agree. I, I think, cause I've, like I worked as a hiring manager for five years and, and have interviewed hundreds to thousands of prospective coaches and coaches coming in with no level of education or a very bare minimum level of education. Like it's rough. Like, again, like it's, there is, I think there is a baseline level. Like if I'm a coach and I'm looking for competency in the coaching realm where I do need to know a bit about like, not even a bit, like I need to understand biomechanics. I need to understand physiology to an extent. I need to understand the, the cardiorespiratory and, and aerobic system. Like there are things that I need to understand. I need to understand basic programming concepts, I think, because again, we're talking about stress dosing at that yep. point, because we've also all seen the coaches that are just completely destroying their clients or on the alternate end of the spectrum, never actually pushing them in any way. You know, so I do think those things that come in like matter to an extent. The issue is past the bare minimums, past, you know, the entry level stuff like your CPT and, and whatnot. Now it's like, how do I decide my ongoing education, right? Like we talk about this too. It's like, it can't just be based on, oh, I like kettlebells. I'm going to go get some kettlebell certs. Or yeah, all my oh, clients are doing RKC yeah. stuff. Or, They're all prepping for the RKC yeah. cert. <laughs> or I hurt my back once, so I'm going to do all this rehabby stuff now yeah. because that's what I do. It, it's got to be geared towards what your client demographic actually needs, right? Like, that I that is a that hard firsthand. lesson to learn. Oh, I learned yeah. it. I it kicked me in the face when I first started coaching. Right, like I went straight from being a collegiate athlete who came out of school with an undergrad and a CSCS to literally 14th street union square, New York, where I trained zero fucking athletes mm -hmm. and none of the assessments that I had learned mattered. Yeah. None of the training <laughs> programs that I had learned mattered at all. Didn't even have the equipment or the space to do them if they did fit the demographic. Right. So I had to relearn how to train all together. And at that mm -hmm. point, again, we're talking 2007, right. I literally took my NASM, took my NSCA PT instead of CSCS, took ACSM all within the same year. So I got all three of the actual CPTs that I could. Yeah. And then I went on and took like FMS and then I got into some other stuff. And it's just like, those things actually helped me more with that demographic, right? And, and I still probably put more people through like, basically like just rewritten bodybuilding programs and anything else, you know, if they were training three days a week, but it's just like, yeah, like I do think that's where like your audience and the people that you work with at that point are going to determine what your con ed should be. And coaches don't think about it like that. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. 
Oh, I completely totally agree. And like, yeah. that's one of the things that like, I had that same. And that's, thing. that's Craig, that's your point, right? That's the people yes. who have gone through and right. they've got 12 acronyms behind their name of all the shit that they like, but it doesn't fit their actual training population whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Either that, or like they're unhappy with where their current business is at. So they just try to fight for more certifications and well, knowledge yeah, to hopefully be more qualified, yeah, quote unquote. They think uh, that's the problem when it's not the, they don't understand right. what their bottleneck is. Right. And right. we've dealt with that so much, right. Where it's, and even when I first started this business and was doing, you know, trainer mentoring almost exclusively individually, I'd like, I would get all these people who were extremely well-educated. Like they were coming in with undergrads and masters and all the like multiple, multiple, multiple con ed education and wondering what seminar they should take next or what book they should read next. And it's like, you have way more than enough knowledge to be successful in this field. I've watched people make six figures with a NASM CPT and nothing oh, else. Yeah. Like you, like you, education is not your bottleneck. This is not your performance limiter, right? Yep. It's like the, the basketball player that squats 500 pounds, but wonders why they're, they're not doing well in their sport that just wants like, oh, think I can get to 550. It's like, no, man, that's not the, like, not gonna help you're, you. <laughs> you're good. You're yeah. good on that. Let's work on these other things now. Yeah. Right. Still um, the jump shot. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. Like let's get some, <laughs> let's work on an engine. Like let's do some things that actually pertain, you know? So it's like, they just keep stacking onto this thing that they're already good at. Cause that's what they're biased towards. That's what yeah. they think is valuable in this industry. And it is, but again, like, we're talking a pie chart, right? Like there's a lot of things that are valuable in this industry yeah. and they got a, they got three quarters of a pie in education and right. these tiny little slivers of like people skills and business acumen and whatever. And they don't understand the things that are actually holding them back. Yeah. And that's and the that's, biggest one too, the yeah. people skills. That was oh, one yeah. of the things that I would always talk about with um, when I was a, a manager at my old club that I would talk about with my old co-manager was if you want me to make good trainers, find me bartenders. Find oh yeah. Me in New York, that, that, find man, me that was those people. That was my thing is like yeah. our most successful people were coming from the service industry, yep. not, not the, the graduate programs of exercise science. And I hate, I hate to like, it sucks kind of, but it also just doesn't because again, like back into the point, you don't need a master's degree in exercise science to help, you know, Charlie lose 30 pounds yep. and, and kind of like mitigate his knee pain a little bit, yeah. right? Like it's not rocket science. You don't Especially need... when Charlie's going from zero times lifting a week for the last 20 years to yeah. now twice a week. You're, you're not putting NBA players on force plates and trying yep. to work on rate of development speed. Like this yep. is not the same thing, you know? So it's just, it's one of the, like, or trying to get somebody combine ready and take, you know, a 10th, you know, or two hundredths off of their 40. So they can make five more million dollars on their rookie contract, right? Like it's not, that's not what we're doing here, right? You don't have to have all of that education. You just have to be able to really apply what you do have well. Yep. And I think again, that goes right back to experience, you know, it's circling all the way back to Craig's original comment. You got to get on a training floor. And you got to work with people and work with a lot of different people. And 
this is actually going to go straight into our third question of what drives me uh, crazy. Cause I think it's a good transition yeah. point for, for mine is oh, mine too. It's, it's a, it's a weird combination. I think of gyms being closed all through the last two, three years and a lot of new coaches not actually being able to work with people on the floor yeah. and remote based education, which we actually, again, we're a provider of this, right. But being able to quote unquote, be educated on the internet and not actually have the skin in the game of going to in-person seminars and testing these things and then having to apply them with your clients before you take the next cert, right? Like I remember when I was going through my original, you know, education pathway, like I would take two to three things a year. And, and again, it wasn't because that's all I could afford. It was because I had to travel to take them. Yep. So I had to take, I had to take time off work and I was working 40 sessions a week plus on the floor. So I also got to apply all of these things and understand what worked and what didn't for me. And now it's like, we talk to people in our groups that they've taken eight to 10 certifications and seminars in six months and not trained a single fucking person in real life. And it's like, how do you know what's useful? You haven't tested any of this. You've accumulated all of this information, some of it contradictory to one another, and you haven't even been on a floor and worked with people to go through that testing process, the scientific process we outlined earlier. So you have all of these assumptions and hypotheses and biases and whatever, you talk about them on the internet like they're fact, but you have no actual critical experience. And that's, that is my least favorite thing in the industry is everybody talks like an expert because they've taken some seminars. And they're not like yeah. expertise comes with practice and it comes with results. It doesn't come with the accumulation of knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's not the right way to be thinking about this industry or being successful within this industry. And that drives me absolutely crazy when I yep. like, when I scroll through my timeline or whatever. Yep. My thing that I hate the most is everybody who uh, just takes a takes a little course and then hyper specializes into one thing and all they do is just make content about that one particular thing. And it's like cool, man. I get that you found a cool new shiny toy and mm -hmm. you want to talk about it, but if you if you are because like I remember even hearing this from somebody in the field that they post content in an informational way so they can better understand it themselves and like learn it themselves a little bit more effectively. Get a journal and write it down instead of posting it on the <laughs> fucking internet. All you are doing is making people more confused and making people scared of shit that doesn't even fucking matter. Yeah. Like that is my biggest pet peeve is people using their own social media, like a, like a written journal to teach yeah. themselves how to like understand concepts. Well, especially do not when do they, this. Especially when you pose yourself as an, as an expert and an educator. 
if you are posing yourself as an expert and an educator and you are using your social media to chronicle your own thoughts and work through problems in your head, <laughs> unless you are specifically saying, hey, this is a case study and here's what I'm talking about and here's what I'm going to try and you're imposing all of these things as fact, do not fucking do that. Like, I don't even know how else to say it. Like, I, it's, it's one of those things that gets me so mad because I see all these people and then like, I get questions about it frequently where it's like, well, what is it? Like, what do you think about this person? And I'm like, I don't, number one, I don't think about this person at all, at, at all, ever, literally ever. And number two, like, I also know what this person is doing and they're trying to teach themselves the content that they're posting about, right? Where it's like, if that's the case and you're that insecure, like, are you doing it so that other people and your peers will come in and validate you? Privately message them. And be like, hey, I'm thinking about this. Like, what do you think about use social media for what was its intended purpose of socializing, right? Yeah. Like, if you know an expert, DM that expert, email that expert and talk to them about like, hey, I was thinking about this. Would this be something that would make sense conceptually that I could then discuss and use? Oh, yeah, if that makes total sense. Yeah, I can totally use that. But if you're just out there like blindly making content that has that you're using to and like making posts to teach yourself the content that you're learning and you're posing yourself as an educator and you're taking other people's money from it. When you admit freely that you don't actually know the content that you're talking about. Oh man. Well, I mean, That's the problem, right? We know the answer to that man. hypothetical well, question. It's yeah, not, I mean, even going further, there's people that we know that have outwardly said that they post like inflammatory content. Uh -huh just for views that pose yeah. themselves as educators like they post things they don't even believe in yep right just because it draws engagement and likes and all of this other stuff right and it's just like again like I, if you're i've said this so many times and it's it i don't think it ever reaches its mark unfortunately but if you're going to any social media platform for education yeah, you, you are going, you're, you're getting lost. the worst product possible. Yep, you already lost. Um, like, one, the platform doesn't even allow you to provide enough context and information to educate people, right? If you want to be an educator, like, at most, people are going to get a carousel of slides and what, 200 words of copy yeah. presented yeah. with it. You know and how so many people just, are going to read all those words anyway? Not and people Nobody. don't even make it to the words, right? You know, and it's just like this is not an education platform. It's an engagement and entertainment platform. It's a funnel, hopefully, to something else that has yeah. more context. Um, but that's why I quit posting a lot of the way that I used to, is because I realized pretty early on that people were taking what I was doing as like the script. Yeah. of what they should be doing. And it's like, this is literally just my workouts. Yeah. yeah. Does it mean People that like you goals. should be? Yeah. Does it like, don't do the exact same thing that I'm doing. Right. If you want to train with me, we'll do a consult, Yeah, but this is not it. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, like my, the, the general rule of thumb that I have kind of always followed and would encourage, would encourage everyone else to follow is maybe don't look for education from people who don't actually use what they're trying to educate you on. And by that, I mean like, or they're not I'm, good at it. Right. And, but like the, the kind of point I was trying to make with that was like, I'm not trying to learn from coaches 
unless they actually coach. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to be a better programmer, right? A programming person. I'm going to learn more about programming from someone who's extremely good at it because they do it all the time, right? Like, like Matt, you're coached by Mike Tashira. Arguably, I'm in my opinion, probably the best programming coach that has existed in powerlifting. But that dude is programming constantly for his athletes. He's constantly experimenting. He's constantly doing his own quote unquote research um, to become a better programmer, right? Like I want to learn how to become, if I want to learn how to become a better weightlifting coach, I'm not going to find someone on the internet talking about weightlifting. I want to find a coach who coaches weightlifters and does an exceptional job of it to then learn from, right? And what's happening now, at least from my, you know, from my perspective, and, you know, when we did my original podcast, what, like a year and a half ago, this was my, it's the same, it hasn't changed. I, the internet creates a place for coaches who don't actually coach. Yeah. And that drives me bonkers, man. It really does. That was something Um, that Brett Contreras talked about in a a podcast where he was talking about how like he's, he's a PhD, he runs a gym, he's training people six to eight hours a day. He doesn't have the time to make all these like pretty Canva posts. I don't have the time to make all these pretty Canva Canva posts. I, I train in person. I work with you guys. I have some other things that I do on the side. I lift, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Like my day is full. Like I don't have time to do any of that. Like those, those Canva posts. So like, but like I'm working all the time. I have a full roster of remote clients. I have a full roster of in-person clients. And like I'm at capacity. I have the right. time to maybe post a training reel uh, and like once every once in a while, like I don't have the time to do anything else. So you we're at this spend weird three point. hours of on content creation. No. <laughs> so we're like at this weird point now where like the people that are making the best content, which is what Brett's point was, are the people that do the least. Yeah. They do nothing. Like these are people that just like sit on their fucking couch all day doing nothing, just hypothesizing about different training things. I'm like, huh, I wonder how I can not work with people in person and then sound like I'm really smart on the internet. Right. And that, that even goes back to what I think it was Kyle's original point where like, you're going to present ourselves as an expert because we kind of learned something, but we haven't actually used it at all. And we're going to now teach it. Like I couldn't imagine. Right. I couldn't imagine trying to teach someone the alphabet having never written a word in my life. Like, and that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like someone learned something and now we're going to teach it, but they've never actually used it before. And that's frustrating to say the least. Right. <clears throat> I, I, I think that wraps us up probably. That yeah, I think so. A spirited, <laughs> a spirited conversation. Um, we love the internet. It, it, it as well for us. yeah yeah i feel like it's only this is only going to get like go downhill from this point on probably right yeah. should probably should probably cut it <laughs> um but thank you everybody for obviously tuning in listening etc um we appreciate y'all and and again like as we mentioned you know if, if you are looking for more we have a free discord where we do a lot of just open forum conversation with people on it. There's a lot of other good coaches on there having conversations also. So it's a good networking opportunity and just community in general. And if you want to go deeper into the things that we talk about from a training process and perspective, um, we also have our standard group, which has all of our, our modules and weekly calls. So we do try to provide as much context as possible in an actual education platform rather than just on me on social media. Yeah. And it's actually long form content too. And not just a small blurb on social media or a tweet and case studies. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, I had mean, actual case studies. Dude, even the, even the Discord, you got 400 plus people in there having conversations very similar to this. If you want to learn how to become a better coach, that's a good place to start and it's completely free. It's going to be free. <clears throat> All right. So. Thank you, everybody. And until next time, thank you for See ya. listening to Compound Performance. Later, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.